it used to be before I went into this line of work, before I understood what I do about ADHD and my own children, teacher was always right. What did you do to cause this situation, right? Now that I understand my children a little better and I understand ADHD, it doesn't always look like that. I am my child's advocate too. And it's okay to be your child's advocate while also appreciating and being professional with the teachers. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration for the Spring 2021 ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups closes this week, and the groups are filling up rapidly. In these life-changing groups, you will work directly with me and your fellow group members via Zoom to talk about all of the parenting challenges brought about by ADHD and the current COVID-19 pandemic, and you will learn effective ways to manage them. The groups run for eight weeks on Mondays and Wednesdays, beginning on Monday, April 19th. There are two sections. You pick one or the other. The first is at 1 p.m. Eastern. The other is at 5 p.m. Eastern. During these groups, you will learn ways to more effectively connect with your family, as well as ways to manage anxiety in the home. And of course, lots and lots of ADHD-friendly strategies throughout. Perhaps the most powerful part of these groups are the connections you'll make with other parents facing similar struggles, as you discuss everything from systems and structures in the home, to ways to practice self-care, approach parenting from a leadership perspective, and of course, my wall of awful model. Again, these groups run for eight weeks on Mondays and Wednesdays, with one session starting at 1 p.m. Eastern and the other starting at 5 p.m. Eastern. We meet for one hour each time. They begin on Monday, April 19th, and wrap up on Wednesday, June 9th. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups or email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com to register for a free information call today, because tomorrow there may not be any spaces left. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, and ADHD Diversified with MJ. And this Tuesday, April 13th, you can connect to all of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network crew during the ADHD Rewired live Q&A. It starts at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com events to register. And finally, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon for doing the heavy lifting on editing this episode. I'm glad he's a part of the team. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Hilary Stern. Hillary is an ADHD mom and an ADHD coach at ADHDAdvance.com. In this episode, Hillary talks to us about her work in education, as well as how her son's ADHD diagnosis changed things for her. She discusses seeing ADHD as an explanation rather than an excuse, the difference between intelligence and executive function, and the challenge of navigating big emotions. 
All right, let's get rolling. My name is Hillary Stern, and I am from Dallas. I live in Dallas, Texas. I am currently an ADHD life coach and consultant, and I also do a lot of presentations for teachers and businesses and and parents on ADHD. I have four kids of my own. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 17 in high school, a long time ago. Back then, we didn't know what we know now. And so I just was given medicine and, and, and told that it was going to help me focus and went along my way. And now I realize that so much of my life has panned out because of my ADHD. Started out as a teacher 20 years ago. I taught in uh, public school. I taught sixth grade for a while and I've taught many different grades since. And I've been a faculty educator where I work with the teachers on best practices in their classrooms. Let's play with that journey a little bit, because that's that's a lot of ADHD information <laughs> hiding in there, right? Oh, yeah. Being diagnosed when you were a kid and then working as a teacher. What Were you teaching a subject? Were you a special education teacher? What did that look like? I was general ed, elementary and middle school certified. Um, and my master's in education administration. So I've taught sixth, fourth, third, and most recently first. What got you into ADHD? Why did you pivot out of education and come into the world of ADHD? So um, when I was back in the classroom, I was teaching at the school where my kids were in school and my son started showing signs of ADHD, but I didn't know that that's exactly what it was because it was the emotional part that was evident. And the emotions were not necessarily matching the situations. And that is the year that we got the ADHD diagnosis and got him help. And he became so self-aware. He does great now because he is self-aware. And it was that self-awareness piece that I really worked hard with him and multiple people worked hard with him on understanding who he is. And like I always tell him and my clients and my family, ADHD is not an excuse, it's an explanation. And so with that understanding, he's not allowed to use it as an excuse. Um, And he knows that. And now, I mean, I have four kids. It's going down the pipeline. Chances are I'll have three of four or possibly all four with ADHD. And That's really why my career pivoted um, and how my career pivoted. And I still am so passionate about education that I, I love training teachers. I love, I work as a team with my children, my own personal children's teachers. My husband and I meet with the team of teachers at the beginning of every year. And really there's nothing to hide because if we hide things, they're going to figure it out anyway in school. So we might as well open up and, and just kind of tell them what we see works and, and help them, let them help us also because they're professionals. A couple questions there. ADHD is an explanation. It's not an excuse. How do you split that hair? It's kind of like saying, well, I didn't do it. That's my, you know, my ADHD. Mom, I have ADHD. Like I didn't do it. Or you know, I couldn't get it done, but you know, I can't get it done. You know, my brain is, wasn't attached. And then on the flip side of it. Okay. So I understand that sometimes I forget things because of my ADHD. 
let me try to figure out skills and ways that I can avoid some of these behaviors. Or when we see them, what can I do next time that's different? So it's all in the, it's all in the way that you approach it. Using it as an excuse is not going to get you so is only going to get you so far but being able to understand and be self-aware and explain yourself is going to get you a lot farther it sounds like you're saying that an excuse is kind of trying to absolve yourself of any responsibility around the problem that has occurred whereas an explanation is coming up with why the mistake happened but you're still responsible for figuring out how to solve whatever the issue is. Exactly. So it adds another step almost. It's like it adds a productive step. Yeah. Instead of being not productive, it's going to we're going to be we can just sit here and say I have ADD all day long or ADHD all day long, but where's that going to get us? Right. Let's make some adjustments. Which is where my coaching training has really been so helpful for me and our, my family and obviously my clients too. Is that understanding that piece? Yeah, that makes sense. And speaking of sort of productive steps and coach training, how do you work with your kids' teachers? What are the things that you're finding are effective? Key is meeting with the teachers at the beginning of the year. I think it's so important to, as close to the beginning of the year or even before the year, get as many people around the table as you can or around the Zoom link or whatever we're doing at that time. At most schools, there's a key person. And that key person is important. That's your constant line of communication. However, I think the more the merrier. So I have four kids. For my younger kids, you know, it would look different because they have one or two teachers as opposed to my middle school kids who have six or seven teachers. I try to get all six, seven teachers so that I can share what struggles they have, what strategies might work. And even the The learning specialist or the person in charge, whatever they call it at the particular child's school, they know your child pretty well from the previous year. However, a lot could happen over the summer. So there's like a three-month time frame where they're not seeing the child. So we can talk about either setbacks or, you know, strides we made during that time as well. So that's the key. That's the first step. The second step is letting them know you're on their team, the teacher, and you're on your child's team. My kids' teachers know that I'm going to support them. It used to be before I went into this line of work, before I understood what I do about ADHD and my own children, teacher was always right. What did you do to cause this situation, right? Now that I understand my children a little better and I understand ADHD, it doesn't always look like that. I am my child's advocate too. And it's okay to be your child's advocate while also appreciating and being professional with the teachers. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah. And I, I tend to take the same approach where I'm like, honestly, my perspective is sort of like, you're phenomenal, oh, teacher, until you show me that you're not. And then I kind of like, I'm not okay with the teachers not being phenomenal. Like as soon as they, and, and you have to be pretty not phenomenal for me to decide that you're not phenomenal. Like I have a <laughs> lot of forgiveness and a lot of leeway, but if you're not listening to my kid, if you're not valuing the stuff that I've told you are is important. That's where I start losing my trust. I, at one point I met with a teacher. I called the meeting. I was like, we need to talk about my kid. And I rolled into that meeting and she tried to take over the meeting and talk about a whole bunch of stuff that 
was not why the meeting was called. Like I called it. I know what I want to talk about. And it's not what you're talking about. I'm not here to get an update on academics. I'm here to talk about some emotional stuff that we need to navigate that you need to know about because it could blow up in our face later if you don't find out about it. And it it didn't work. And I from the jump, I was like, okay, you're not you're not listening to me. So that's fr- that's hard. That's hard when you ha- when you run into those situations. And I've had some of them, and some of them have turned out okay. You know where, you know they know my background. I've actually trained the teachers at my children's school. I mean, it was pre-COVID. So a lot's happened since then. It was last January when I did my my last training for them. So I could go one of two ways. It could go, okay, that um, that explains some things. Maybe we can do it this way. Or they just keep thinking that there's some oppositional behavior or that they're purposely not following the directions of the project. When really, I mean, they thought they were doing, and this, ha- this happens, they thought they were doing it the right way and actually really excited about it. And then bam, nope, you're not doing it the right way. Okay, so where are my visuals? Where were his visuals? Because he needs visuals. He needs a step-by-step. Remember, his executive function is not at his chronological age right now. Other things are surpassed, have surpassed the chronological age. But there are certain breaking things down into smaller parts. That's not there yet. So we need to train his brain. Yeah. And that sort of asymmetrical development, my kid is gifted or whatever. And like my kid understands, I don't know, astrophysics and high level vocabulary, but they can't put like a three-step project together. That's really challenging for adults in general regardless of their profession. So parents, but also teachers can struggle with that where it's like, your kid's really bright. How come they can't seem to do my projects? Because the executive functions aren't there. And that's happened a lot. That's that's what I've seen a lot. And that just, to me, shows that the teachers don't always have the understanding of ADHD that they need to. Because that, to me, now that I know what I know, and I again, I was there. Four years ago, I was there in the classroom, not knowing what I know now and thinking I knew and understood it. Okay. I love teachers. I can't, I can't even imagine what they've been through over the past year because I thankfully was not a classroom teacher when all four of my kids had to go on lockdown. I want to throw that out there. Teachers are doing a great job. The one piece that they don't know is that executive age, executive function gap. Or like, um, you know, Dr. Barkley talks about that, that executive age, you know, so it's not, you don't learn that in college when you go to be a teacher. What you're talking about, just in case my listeners are new and don't know it yet, is when it comes to ADHD, there's a developmental delay in ADHD around executive function. So that's basically executing on stuff. That's planning and prioritizing. That's time awareness. That's emotional regulation, which you've alluded to already that's organization, that's initiating tasks, it's following tasks to completion. It's that kind of stuff. With a person with ADHD, there's a developmental delay there of 30%, which is hard to do because years are a base 12 system. So I stick with the old rule, which was one to three years because it's just easier. And that that matters because a seventh grader is now in fifth grade. You just went from the center of middle school to the end of elementary school. That's a big shift 
Yet you see them socializing like all the other, I mean, you know, oftentimes or sometimes not, but you, you know, they're fine with the friends and they have the sarcasm and they understand, you know, and, and really um, savvy in that way sometimes and sometimes not, or the depth of their um, knowledge, like when they do participate in class and what they know and wow, that's so insightful. So why can't you write this paper the way I asked you to write it? <laughs> so <laughs> when you're working with teachers, what are some of the things that you really focus on to make sure that they understand? When I'm in person working with teachers, I start out by um, I always have fidgets on the on the tables. And it's very fascinating to me how many teachers grab the fidgets and are are playing with them throughout my session. So that's the first thing. And we talk a lot about that movement is releasing the dopamine, is helping them stay focused, okay? So it's it's important that teachers see that they're that they themselves have to do it. So I allow them that opportunity before I even get into the discussion about look around, you're using these fidgets. What are they doing to the brain? So we talk a lot about the brain what I've noticed the past few years as I've, since I've been doing presentations for teachers is the light bulb that goes off when I explain certain things, for example, how the brain works, where the executive functions are and what they do. Um, I often like to talk about it like a circus. And if the ringmaster is out there doing his thing and the tiger decides that the he's going to lay down, he doesn't feel like participating, then what does that do to the rest of the circus? That affects every other part of the circus. One thing happens, then the next thing happens, then the next thing happens. But if one part of it decides they're not an active participant, it affects everything else. So talking about that, going into the executive functions, and talking about that delay that we've been talking about, that is a huge eye-opening experience for all teachers, I've noticed. My workshops are usually interactive. They need to see some of this stuff in action so that, especially when you get to the middle school and high school level, it's not, you know, historically hasn't been as hands-on. Now it's a little better, I think, in today's day and age. And then we're back in COVID. So that shifts everything. <laughs> um, but I think that, that those are like my, my big focus. When they, if they can actually see it and feel it and touch it and be a part of it, then they're like, oh, this is how I'm going to handle this situation now. Oh, this is how we should, they don't, they're time blind. What do you mean time blind? You know, that's a big one. Yeah. What do you mean time blind? Walk us through that a little bit. So time blind is something that I've had my whole life. And when I was going through my training and my um, teacher talked about this, I was like, oh my God, that's me. So I use the time timers. It doesn't matter which kind, but what I like about them is that they, you know, show the time as they're passing by and then it goes off. I set this for me when I go to the grocery store, I will set it for 20 minutes, put it in my bag, and then it goes off and hopes that I can beat the time. You know, I've learned that because I thought everything took five to 15 minutes. Oh, I always have time. You know, it was either five minutes or it was 15 minutes. And I was always late everywhere, late doing things, never estimated my time accurately. So two ways I, I talk about this when I work with teachers. One is when someone's having a, a moment where they need to have a break, a brain break, their own personal brain break, give them a timer and say, how long do you think you'll need? 
you've got less than 10 minutes. How long between five and 10 minutes is this going to take? And let them set the timer and take that time for themselves, wherever, away from the, the rest of the group, if you have a spot in the room or you, or you let them go, you know, depending on their age, take a break into, in the hallway. It's not a punishment. It's just a reset button. Then they're keeping track of the time. If someone's having a hard time getting started on something, you can say, hey, I'm, I'd like you to write three sentences. How long do you think that's going to take? And again, we do the same thing. They set their timer. I think it's going to take 10 minutes. Okay, great. Let's set your timer. You set your timer for 10 minutes, put it right there, and let's get started writing. In 10 minutes, you can choose to continue or you can choose to, to be done and go on to the next thing. You're teaching them time awareness. They're gaining control over the situation. and that task initiation, which is also a very challenging one for people with ADHD, getting started on a task, that kind of helps jumpstart them there. I went all over the place with that, but it all has to do with time. It's an ADHD podcast. <laughs> there you go. That's a thing. I'm a perfect, I'm a perfect person to be here then. <laughs> What's the journey been like with regard to your son? Because it sounds like your son's diagnosis, if I'm getting the timetable right, it sounds like your son's diagnosis opened up this new lens on ADHD for you. Absolutely. You know, without getting too much into it, because it's his story to share when he's ready to share it. Because of him, I always tell him, he is the reason why I went into this. And I remember back when I started doing it, he goes, mom, you're going to really be able to help, help us and help our family. I try. I'm going to throw it out there. It's not always, you know, I've got the tools, but it's, it's challenging. And, and that's okay. That makes it more real life. As I said, that self-awareness piece, that understanding of what to do when he gets overwhelmed and he can give me that look if he's home and go and play his guitar or shoot hoops because those are the things that help calm him down or listen to music. He's a big music guy. Um, in school, same kind of thing. He's very aware. He knows the feelings in his body. He knows what's going to happen when he needs to maybe possibly take a break and go and, you know, take a few minutes to kind of cool down. He's, he's okay. We can joke about things, you know, we can joke about right now they're not using lockers because of COVID. So where is everything? It's in the bag. He sees me joke about myself. I can, you know, see, we can, we can add. So he's very, very self-aware. It's, I put a stop to any time he starts that negative self-talk happens and he starts criticizing himself you know, because of the ADHD and that's where the excuse comes in. We go back to that. Let's let this be an explanation and let's move on. So yes, he is the reason why I am an ADHD life coach and why I've opened my eyes to the world of ADHD and how, and how many gifts th this diagnosis can, can bring so many gifts. Going undiagnosed is a lot different and that it can be a struggle for children and adults, because they are putting up a, a, they have that wall of awful and they don't even know that it's there <laughs> or understand it. What are some of the, the benefits that you're finding with regard to the diagnosis? His teachers are starting to understand him better. His teachers understand him better. He's always been a pretty well-liked kid, but then 
they get so confused. So the teachers have been able to start understanding him better. Obviously he's understanding himself and you know, we can sit down and we can actually have a conversation if something's not working about what will work. He feels comfortable with me to say, mom, I feel like it's like a little much right now until I show you that I need, that I can't handle this. Can you let me? So that, that part's been, I think the hard part for me is wanting to say, but this is going to work. I know this is going to work. You know, with my coaching questions, trying to probe him and he gets frustrated and says, you know what, let's go through this trimester, see how it works. And this is what my goal is. If we're not there, then we can, then you can start trying those things on me. I've been having a similar kind of experience with my kids. I'm homeschooling them for COVID. So next year they'll be back in the classroom. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm <just> kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. I've spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week with my kids for over a year now. And it, that's a lot. I love them, but that's a lot. Yes. You love them and that's a lot. I love them and that's a lot. I'm comfortable with saying, but um, <laughs> one of the things that I've found challenging in, in the homeschooling is that I kind of just want to like over support them, right? I want to be like, well, what about this and do that and da da da. And I really have to stop. And, and the phrase that I use in my head a lot is that there's dignity in struggle. So I'm like, I got to give them the dignity of struggling as much for them as for me. I go away. Like I just go somewhere else so that I don't feel like I need to help and I'm not there. So they can't ask me for help. They kind of have to figure it out on their own. And it's paying some pretty decent dividends where we might be hitting a roadblock right now because I gave them a research project that they're not doing together where one of them has to research earthquakes and the other one has to research volcanoes. And it like, it's dragging. It's taking longer than I thought it was going to take. I was like, this is like a three-day experience. We're on day four and it's probably going to go to the end of the week, but that's okay. And so it's taking twice as long, but also they're getting lessons out of this that are not academic. They're getting lessons that are, that are, I can do the hard thing and I can figure this out. I'm also like being a massive jerk about it because I'm saying you need to have two pieces of evidence. You need to have two sources for each answer because the internet is full of lies. So we want to make sure that we're finding actual double dose to prove that we're right, which is admittedly more important with social studies than it is with science. But starting with science makes it easier to find stuff that's going to line up and we'll do it social studies later. But that whole element of like, I have to go away so that you can do the thing is tricky, especially when it's one that's this difficult. Because I don't know if me going away means they're sitting there and doing nothing because they're stuck. So I try to give them permission I'm like, just if you're stuck, come get me and I'll help you. And that you're not in trouble. I'm not going to be upset that you need help. Like that's learning that's supposed to happen, but come get me. And so we have like the little flare ups, like you mentioned earlier, where the emotional response is significantly larger than the thing that is causing the emotional response. They don't seem to line up, but at the same time, the emotional response is valid. Like that is your emotional response, even though this is a small thing relative to the world and reality, like you are experiencing it as a seven when I kind of think it's a two, that doesn't make it not a seven for you. So I have to help you navigate your seven so we can come back and do this thing and learn that we can do hard things. And hopefully later, this is a five and we can do it better. I think that's really, really important, Brendan, what you just said. 
it's a seven. It looks like a three to the other person or to the adult, but that's not, that doesn't really matter because for that individual, it's a seven. And I think that that plays a role in adult relationships as well, um, especially when there's ADHD involved, because my seven might be looked up by my husband as a two, but that doesn't negate the fact that it's my seven and that it still affects me that way. And the frame that I always take on that is sexual harassment. Like there's a level of privilege and power that comes into how I rate the degree of emotionality that should be wrapped up in this thing. If I'm harassing someone, I might be, and it's not a thing I do, but we can pretend I'm a terrible person for a minute. If I'm harassing someone and I'm like, oh, it's no big deal. Like just this thing that's inappropriate that I'm not even going to say on my show. Right. And they're upset by that. That's on me, right? Like I have to validate and recognize where they are. And the same is true for a kid struggling to clean the room. My wife, when she's upset with me because I didn't do the dishes at five o'clock, even though I usually do them at six o'clock anyway, like I still have to navigate that. I still have to be like, no, you're right. I I do usually do them at six o'clock, but the sink is overflowing. I should have thought to do it now. Like that should have been a cue, right? Yeah. So that that's how I try to, that's the frame I try to take on it. And admittedly, I grew up in the eighties when like sexual harassment was this huge thing talked about in the news and publicly. And there was like a Michael Douglas movie about it. And, and so I try to remember, like, it doesn't matter what my view is. It matters what their view is, but also as a parent, it's my job to help them respond culturally more appropriately to whatever the thing is. Right. So you can't shut down every time you have to write an essay. So I'm going to have to help guide you so that you can get to the point where you can write an essay and just be uncomfortable and no one has to know. So I definitely um, agree with you. And I would add another piece. When we navigate it is a very important point. When they're, when they're up here, and this goes for anybody, but when someone with ADHD, I mean, there is research around the fact that the emotionality of someone with ADHD is that much more, I mean, you want to, whatever you want to call it is that much uh, more intense. Trying to figure it out and solve that situation right then and there is not going to help anyone. It's just, we're just in that alligator frozen brain situation. So it's really important that they have the tools. This is another thing that you have when, when you're in a calm space, when you do calm down, plan for it. You know, be proactive. What do you feel in your body when you start to get overwhelmed? Um, You know, where do you feel it? Some people feel it in their toes. I feel the heat rising in my body. And I know and I have to close my eyes, take those deep breaths, maybe walk away for a minute and, and go do what I need to do. So, But my kids need to have these skills as well. And they need to know what to do and when to do it. And then... We'll talk about the writing the paper or doing the project another time. We'll talk about, you know, whatever issue it was. We, when we're, when we're at a calm, these are two things we need to deal with now. We need to figure out how to calm ourselves when we get that way and then how to write the paper, do the research project. Yeah. And I, I completely agree that when things are escalated, regardless of what it is, doesn't even have to be an essay. It can be arguing with your spouse or your kid about, what to have for dinner or or when something is going to get done that's not the time to try to solve the underlying challenge of emotional regulation or maybe even the challenge of when 
to where to eat and when to do the dishes. You got to pull out of that emotionality first, understand what's being said, validate those emotions, calm ourselves down, and then solve the problem, right? You want to deal with emotional stuff independent of sort of cognitive academic stuff, because otherwise the emotionality crowds out all the logic that you might need to solve the problem. And being a parent with ADHD and having children with ADHD adds a whole other struggle because we, because those of us with ADHD want to take care, we want to solve the problem now and we want to get to the end of it and we want to deal with it because, you know, we have to have that instant gratification because it's either now or it's not now. So if it's not now, it's not going to get done necessarily. So let's deal with it now and take care of it and figure it out or else it's not important enough. So we'll do it not now, which is, you know, who knows when. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? First of all, it's that self-awareness piece, whether it's you or whether it's your children, if it's your children, teaching them as much as that you can about ADHD and then also getting them the help that they need so that they can truly understand themselves, that's huge. And then my second thing would be working as a team with the teachers and the therapists, if there are therapists and the doctors, it is a team effort. And who else needs to be a part of that, that team? The actual child. The child needs to be there. One of the things we know about ADHD is that if it is not relevant, urgent, or interesting to you, then you're not going to necessarily want to do it. So if I make decisions about what needs to be done for my kid and my kid is not a part of the conversation, that doesn't mean they have to be a part of the initial conversation always, but at some point, bring them in. They are part of the conversation. They're not going to have buy-in. And that's very much part of the ADHD brain which is why a lot of kids with ADHD struggle in school. They don't see the relevance in what they're learning. It doesn't pertain to them. I didn't pick that topic. I don't need to learn about it. So being a team player with your kid and all the other team players like their teachers, and then also helping your child be more self-aware, those are two things that are very important. And always remember, it's an explanation, not an excuse. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, ADHDadvance.com, and you can email me at Hillary, that's one L, H-I-L-A-R-Y, at ADHDadvance.com. I see students high school and older, and then also adults with ADHD, and I have individual clients, and I do some groups as well. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.